Planet Worker, a world in development. Hajiang, November 2010. I'm dizzy, seriously dizzy. We're on our way up to Hajiang province in northern Vietnam on the road of 900 turns. Having reached halfway up this twisting mountain road, my head is spinning. I feel better when the driver tells me of a colleague who works in an office at the top who always gets nauseous despite having travelled this road many, many times. Two hours later, we gratefully arrive at the summit and travel along roads cut into the mountainside. Spectacular, but breathtakingly scary as we skirt the edge of gravel roads high above the river below. I'm part of a group undertaking a rapid review of a program intended to assist mountain families in these harsh conditions. Hazang is on the border with China and represents Vietnam's final frontier. It's a province that's fallen behind in Vietnam's spectacular modern development surge. Fewer children are in school, more families are poor, and vulnerability to sickness is high. Part of the reason for this poverty is geography. Hazang is mountainous, isolated from the larger towns below, and unsuited for intensive farming. As a result, livelihood options are limited and households struggle to survive. But this doesn't fully explain the underdevelopment of the region, as this is due to a more pervasive factor, the political marginalisation of ethnic communities. Vietnam is a multi-ethnic country with 54 ethnic groups, each with its own language, lifestyle and cultural heritage. Up here, The hill tribes predominate, with the Hmong the biggest community. Their culture is unique and sets them apart from Vietnamese mainstream culture. In the hills, geographic and political isolation reinforced each other. In his delightfully titled book, The Art of Not Being Governed, an Anarchist History of Upland Southeast Asia, author James Scott presents an argument that the social systems of hill tribes are deliberately constructed to frustrate lowland political centralization and control. Frequently, they quietly contest the rules of the lowland ruling majorities, leading to continued perceptions of these minorities as being against the central government. This is not to suggest that modern Vietnamese state is not committed to development of these areas, Affirmative action programs that especially target ethnic minority groups are numerous and diverse. Despite these measures, ethnic minorities continue to face widespread discrimination in education and employment, performing worse than the majority on health and development indicators. And although the government officially prohibits discrimination against ethnic minorities, long-standing societal discrimination against ethnic minorities persists. Ethnic minorities are subject to stereotyping and misconceptions. I noticed this when we are met by the local NGO staff and the district party committee upon our arrival. Both are staffed mainly by lowland people who are serving a tour of duty in the mountains. I get the sense from their jokes about the local life and people and wistful remarks on families down below that they see this as the equivalent of a hardship posting amongst 
a backward people. Although clearly committed to their tasks and targets, they are clearly outsiders and their views border on paternalism and racism. Outsiders, especially foreigners, are still viewed with suspicion by the ever-vigilant authorities. And I get a quick reminder of this when I return to my room in the guest house. Although the door is locked, there has clearly been a visit. The contents of my carefully organised backpack have been equally carefully laid out on my bed, with my passport and visa prominently perched on top. Nothing missing, just a clear message delivered. Intrigued, my queries to the guest house manager draw a blank stare and equally non-committal response. Of course no one has been in your room. I'm pretty careful with my comments and belongings thereafter. The day dawns beautiful and crisp and we're out in the villages early next morning, visiting family homes perched precariously on rough terrain. Life is difficult when scarcity abounds and simple things make a difference here. Amongst all the services and rights education provided by my organisation, it is a donated cow, a pit latrine, school books and uniforms for the kids that are most appreciated and valued, tangible and transformative, food, health, school, money. Life here can also be dangerous. We visit a community-constructed footbridge spanning the river. An important local community project that makes a big difference to children. Not only do they no longer have to decide between crossing a dangerous river or walking the five kilometres to the school on the opposite bank, but also do not face the risk of an abduction on the long detour. I'm initially puzzled by this fear until it becomes clear that the largely unrestricted border with China renders local children vulnerable to trafficking. Modern-day slave routes run through these highland areas with children as their commodities. We hear the two children, a brother and a sister tending to animals, have disappeared from this very plateau two days before. Since then, the villagers and family have been frantically searching for them up to the border. The family are clearly devastated, but also resigned to the loss of their children. It's commonplace. It's heartbreaking. We're quiet on the way down to the town, tired and sombre. The mood is lightened by our final dinner with the local NGO staff who delight in plying us with liquor amongst cries of Trump and Trump, bottoms up. Intricate jokes and political stories fill the time until we roll home to our beds late in the evening. On our way down the mountain the next morning, the painful pounding in my head is exceeded only by the heart-rending reminder of these stolen children. I silently recite every parent's prayer. Please don't let it happen to me. Free planet! Our planet! Free planet! Our-